Infirmary Media. People engage in stuff for dueling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Scrap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Broadcasting from the new Infirmary Media Studios. It's the adult audio retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's meet this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in the week experience. This week, I, Mark James, will step back into the arena of awesomeness, and I will be dueling with the week of August 12th through the 18th in 1990. In my opponent, dueling with August 8th, through the 15th in 1981, is the grizzled video veteran of our program, host of the Video Rangers podcast, and fan favorite to the show, Mike Ranger is back. Hello. Shaven, Mike Ranger. I took it off. Looks like a, took, looks like a totally different person. Took it all off. You should see my nuts. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and as always here on the show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you the man who will keep law and order on this episode, and he is also the new Dueling Decades champion, Man Crush. What's up? All right, let's get this on. And Mike, I have to ask you one question. I was just thinking about this as Mark was talking. Have you ever won a singles match? I don't think so. Holy shit. You're becoming like the uh, Coco Beware of Dueling Decades. I know, it's funny. I'm there till the end, and then I just get, like, <laughs> fucking disqualified. You're good, but you just never win. No, it's horrible. Gotta, let's see. I'm not going to... I'm not going to one side or the other. We'll see what you guys have. Uh, but it is interesting. You finally get the 80s, too. You're uh, going with 1981. I've actually That's lost cool. with the 80s. That's happened. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so... <laughs> awesome. Dreams do come true. Well, Mark has 1990s, so he basically has the 80s as well. He's got the 1989 hangover. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and for the week experience, hot products will be replaced with sports. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Listen up, duelers. Don't switch the blade on the guy in shades, because it's time to play Dueling Decades. All right. All right. So check it out. I'm feeling really comfortable right now, and I don't want to get up to uh, to find anything to flip. So what I'm going to use is something that I use when I go to the gym, and this is called the uh, CNS tap monitor. And uh, what I do every morning when I wake up is I tap this as many times as I can for five seconds. And if it's 10% slower than the day before, I don't go to the gym that day because that means my central nervous system is slow. So what I'm going to have you guys do 
is guess the number of taps that I do. Whoever's the closest gets the first pick. How's that sound? What's the time I limit? Get, I get five seconds. You're going to see me do it right now. Ready? Okay. Here we go. Almost there. All right. Mike, since you're the perennial loser, give me a number. 37. 37 for Mike. Mark, go ahead. Uh, I am going to say 29. The answer was 39. Oh, Mike, you get it. My fucking CNS is on point right now. In a row? <laughs> hey, where are you going? <laughs> get back here. That's a good question, Mike. Where are we going with the first selection? Oh, there's so many, so many different ways I can I can fall on my face. Let's see where we can start here. Have a positive attitude, man. I want to hear oh, yeah? a winning attitude. Right. I want to hear a I'll, fire in that. Here place. we go. Let's start off with something fucking positive. Well, you tell me how positive I should be when I have to start with something like this. Uh, well, let's go with music. All right. Music for the first round. All right. So on August 10th, 1981, Bob Dylan released his 21st studio album, Shot of Love. This was Dylan's third entry into his attempts at Chris, uh, Christian albums. The album peaked at 33 on the U.S. charts and continued his decline in the States. The album received mixed reviews, but the track Every Grain of Sand is a universally considered a standout. Two. Never heard of this album. Uh, it didn't get very good reviews. But people love that sand song. What is it called? Uh, Every Grain of Sand. Every Grain of Sand huge all right man yeah i like it so i'm starting with that with a classic i mean i'm like a big dylan fan but i don't know this album at all well this is 21st fucking album by then all right (laughs) how many does he have now dude he's just he just keeps going he just keeps going and if you go see him in concert he will not perform anything you know no (laughs) no he just refuses to do it so yeah that's my first pick all right so you started off the game super hot uh, in comparison to some other people that have started out the game with like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you've started out the game with Bob Dylan's Shot of Love. But what's your second pick? Oh, well, let me tell you. Because on August 15th, 1981, The Pretenders released their second album, Pretenders 2. This was the last album with the original lineup. The single Talk of the Town and Message of Love were hits the previous year. The album has grown in stature over time and reached half a million copies in 2001. Ooh, that's pretty big. Now, can you sing me a chorus from the song, whatever one is bigger, so I know what it sounds Um, like? I think Message of Love is um, the bigger song, but I don't actually know any words from it. I bet you Message of Love is in the the lyrics somewhere it might be so just sing message of love any way you want right now i can't do it i can't bring myself to do it what is, right. i'm sorry guys <laughs> mike can mike can freestyle rap battle but he can't drop three words oh man i can't think like, about it man oh, all right man. so uh huge round you uh, you started out with bob dylan's shot of love in the pretenders pretenders two which almost sold a half million copies. So what does Mark have for the week of? All right. So released August 14th, 1990, the original motion picture soundtrack to the movie, Pump Up the Volume. Uh, Soundtrack sold fairly decently, although it didn't have 
all of the songs that were included in the movie. They did exclude a few of the notable tracks, the big one being The Scenario by the Beastie Boys. You couldn't find it anywhere. It was never an official release. Uh, You could only get it in bootleg. But the album did have Everybody Knows, uh, performed by Concrete Blonde, which was is, is the Leonard Cohen song, of course, that's featured throughout the movie that is not on the album. Just the concrete blonde version is that's played at the very end of the movie. Also has Bad Brains and Henry Rollins covering Kick Out the Jams and Cowboy Junkies covering Me and The Devil Blues by Robert Johnson. Just a really good mix of different bands on here. I mean, it's got Heretic by Soundgarden on here. Above the Law, Sonic Youth. Much like the movie, it appealed to a mass audience. So that's my first uh, entry, August 14th, 1990. So my second entry uh, was released August 14th, 1990. It is an EP, extended play, and it is the only EP released by the band NWA. It's the first album that was released after Ice Cube decided to split from the band. Uh, The big single off that was 100 Miles and Running, the title track off that EP. Also had Just Don't Bite It and a few other tracks as well. Not the most successful selling nwa album although that being said it did sell over 1.5 million copies worldwide and it has been certified platinum so nwa's release of their first and only ep 100 miles running uh and it had five different songs on it released august 14th 1990 damn well that's pretty interesting there's only a five song ep and it sold uh one and a half million copies so that's pretty big right there. And then the fact that you had the pop up the volume soundtrack, Mike, the Pretenders, Pretenders 2, and Bob Dylan Shot of Love. Two totally non excitable picks. Um I get I I have to go with nineteen ninety here. Whoa. I, I, I mean, shocker. I'm uh, shocked. The the nineties start this off, but it is interesting because the stuff that you came up with even the pump up the pump up the volume. I keep wanting to say pump up the jam, <laughs> but even that soundtrack, it's just loaded with a bunch of eighties tracks. Right. So I can give an assist to the eighties on this one, but ultimately it's a nineties release. So yeah, I got to go with August, 1990. And what are you, what are your dates again? It's the eighth through the 15th. Are you both the same thing? No, I had the 12th through the 18th. Moving on. So you're uh, you're controlling the board now. You get to choose where you want to go. Uh, why don't we go over to some news? Hopefully it's better than music because that shit was... <laughs> Absolutely not. Matter of fact, we're going to start off with some horrible music news. Was this the day that like uh, Snow released Informer? No, not quite that bad. On on August 13th, 1990, Curtis Mayfield is paralyzed from the neck down in an accident at an outdoor concert in Flatbush, Brooklyn, after the stage and lighting equipment collapses on top of him. Uh, If you're not familiar with Curtis Mayfield, he is a staple of 70s soul uh, and one of the all-time great composers. Uh, Gave us the theme song for great movies such as uh, Superfly... My favorite one of all time, my favorite song is Pusher Man by Curtis Mayfield, was still able to complete his final album with the help of some uh, some other musicians, actually recorded all of the vocals line by line laying on his back. 
it's being paralyzed. Obviously, you can't sit up and you can't get all the air you would to sing. So he had to lay on his back to record the vocals for his final album. Passed away several years later, unfortunately, due to complications with diabetes. So that is my first story. My second story is an interesting one. On uh, August 13th, 1990, a federal judge barred the enforcement of the Helms Amendment. Uh, it was passed hastily by Congress a year ago in an attempt to prevent minors from listening to sexually explicit telephone recordings. <laughs> what does this mean? Because this law got turned down by a judge and never got put into act. We got all of those awesome commercials in the 90s where you could call phone sex lines in the 90s, the 1-900 numbers, you know, call me late at night, talk to Candy, the, the girls of many nations. You know, We got all of those. This would have never happened if this law got enacted. It was called the Helms Amendment. What they wanted people to do was if you're a company that offered explicit material over the phone, you had to have a written contract from the person signed stating they are at least 18 years of age. So before you could use their phone service, probably by mail, you had to fill out a form and send it to them. That would have killed every business. So this uh, this law actually got turned down and we got a booming sex phone industry because of it. Okay, so just uh, to clarify, it's the nullification of the Helms Amendment. Correct. It was- uh, Okay, the, gotcha. Th they barred enforcement of the Helms Amendment. All right. Good stuff. At least you came with something positive after you started with a fucking downer. Yeah. But right. appreciate I mean, that. Come on. They were going to take our porn away. I like the streak. I like where we're going. Keep it up, Mike. Stay positive. What do we got? Whoa. Well, <laughs> I found an article from August 12th, 1981 in the Daily News titled IBM Invades the Market for Small Biz Computers. The article goes on to say that IBM has entered the personal computer market today, introducing a computer for use in homes, schools, and small business that will sell for as little as $1,600. The release of the IBM PC spawned from a deal made with Bill Gates in July of 1980, when Gates agreed to create an operating system for IBM's new computer and led to a computer revolution. We know the, the OS as MS-DOS, so... My story is IBM entering the uh, personal computer market. Well, right. didn't write right. Superfly, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what's your second story? Because usually the second one's stronger, but that's pretty fucking strong. So Yeah, no shit. I'm curious. If that's his first story. <laughs> well, my second story, uh, I found another article from the Daily News on August 11th, 1981, and it covers Ford Motors not publicizing the recall of over 200,000 vehicles. Almost all of the recalls were safety a safety issue. Ford did, did send out recall letters to all the owners, but failed to publish it in media, and as a result, most people didn't know about the recall. Both the Ford Escort and the Mercury Lynx uh, had been recalled eight times since the la since the fall. The same day Ford admits to this, Chrysler ends up recalling 100,000 cars, and ConsumerReports.org has a list of the 10 largest recalls of all time, and Ford is on the list three times, uh, including with this one. Wow. So okay. the story isn't th so much that the recall had happened prior, but the story is uh, Ford actually admitting that they failed to make the public aware by publicizing it in the media and 
they admitted that they did it because they didn't want to cause a panic, but these were safety issues within the car. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So here we go. The IBM story is the biggest story you guys have. Uh, Obviously, if that didn't happen, we wouldn't be recording how we are right now. I mean, we might have, but it wouldn't have started from here. And uh, the fact that they went to personal computers this early, uh, I wasn't aware of the date. So I'm a little shocked that it was that early in 1981. I was always thinking it was 82. That's monumental right there. So I got to give you that one. And then your second story, the uh, the recalls. What's really interesting about that is there's recalls on all of our cars all the time. And yeah. when they mail us something in the mail, I don't know about you guys. Anytime I see something from the car company, I don't get my bill from them. Yeah. So I know it's just some bullshit yeah. promotional thing usually. And I would toss them out. Now, when you get stuff from the car company and it's a recall, it actually says it on the envelope. So you're, you know, you're forced to open it and look at it. But even then people look at it and they read it like they know what the fuck they're talking about. And they're like, oh, well, that's steering column. That's fine. Meanwhile, you're, you're driving down the road and your shit pops off. So look at those envelopes, people. But uh, at the same time, you know, looking back in 1981, if you were just getting something in the mail, mail was kind of the highlight of the day in 1981. But at the same time, people were probably just chucking them because it probably had nothing on the envelope other than the fact that it was from Ford Motor Company and people ditched it. So that's a huge thing that people didn't know about. Um, and then uh, looking at 1990 with the Curtis Mayfield thing is just horrible. Uh, horrible news story. Um, and so I, I kind of just kind of like wiped that out. It's just There's, fucking, it's, it's bad. bad. I mean, it's sad. It's not even a death. If you would have come to me with a death, I would have been like, fuck, this is a death. It's horrible. But you know, it, it, this happened because of the death. No, this guy just had shit fall on him and got paralyzed. Terrible. And then he went on to record another album and die several years later of something. Well, I'm sure it was related somehow. But diabetes, of all things. Yeah, he had that. his leg amputated, too, because of it. Jesus Christ, oh, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Bring in the positivity, Mark James. And then your your other story, and bringing it back up, the uh, the nullification of the Helms Amendment. That is, that's huge for the 90s, I think, because we all grew up with, like, Up All Night and, you know, all those uh, late night shows. And it, you know, it routinely started. 10 to 11 o'clock at night, we'd start to get those commercials like, call me now. They were always whispering for some fucking reason. (laughs) It's so your mom couldn't hear them. Yeah, I was just thinking (laughs) that. It's so so your mom couldn't hear. They whispered in the commercials. That is exactly why. And I never thought about it to this moment now that I'm 41. Dude, Uh, they were everywhere. Yeah, they were. They They were were everything. They were in magazines. Uh, I just I mostly remember them on USA. Yeah. Because I would that was the know, network for it, and along yeah. with like the local like strip joints. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that's why you get like a nine seven six evil, or there's a really funny episode of uh, Growing Pains where Ben uh, actually is like handing out nine hundred numbers to his friends at school. That's right, and the whole yeah. subplot line to CB four where Alan Payne works at a phone yeah. sex line. Yeah, he's yeah. licking your balls. <laughs> it's so cool though, because like during that time. I know everybody wanted to call them, but I know like in the backs of our heads, we all knew, or at least I did. I looked at it like, remember the, uh, the sweet emotions video from Aerosmith where yes. the girl's supposed to be, uh, she's supposed to be a phone sec operator and it's just some like 
haggard mom like ironing on an iron board and her yep. kitchen looks a mess. So that's always what I thought of. I was Same like, yeah, I'm not calling that shit. Anyhow, getting back to it, I got to give this one back to 1981 to tie that shit up. We're going uh, August 8th through 15th, 1981 took this round. One to one. Hey, duelers. Marky Man Crush here. Wanted to take a second out to talk to you about our new sponsors, BlueChew.com. Whether we're competing here on Dueling Decades or chewing it and doing it in the bedroom, we are always looking to enhance our performance. Blue Chew will help you last longer and go a few extra rounds. You see, at BlueChew.com, you can get the first chewables with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. The online physician consult is free, so it's cheaper than the others, and it's made right here in the good old U.S. of A, brother. Look, guys, it only takes a few minutes to connect with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician. No in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships directly to your door in discreet packaging, just like all that freaky stuff you buy online. Blue Chew gives you confidence in bed every time. You and your partner will love it. All right, here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code DECADES. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code DECADES. All right, Mike, you got control of the board. What category are we going with next? It's still a one-point round. I'm going to go with TV. Woo. All right. TV in 1981. There's not a lot on. Shock me. On August 15th, 1981, we had the birth of the Eternal World Television Network, or EWTN, a station hopelessly devoted to spreading the Roman Catholic faith, making its debut at 6 p.m. Central Time. When the Catholic Church was asked uh, what sparked the move to network television, the church replied, it's all about the kids. <laughs> Oh, that was touching. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> despite the testimonies of several altar boys, EWTN became the largest religious cable network by the year 2000, available in 38 nations. Was this the uh, the network where Swaggart was on? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Never watched it. Never? Never watched the EWTN network, the Eternal World Television Network. Never knew what that stood for until now. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, it's not the Extreme Wrestling Television Network? <laughs> Damn. Don't, don't get that messed up. There are a lot of people falling down on there for some reason, but they're not uh, in a wrestling match. So that's my first story. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Second story's a little funnier, I think. Um, an article from the Daily News on August 15th, 1981, by George Maskian, titled Jenner, From Wheaties to Chips. And yes, I'm talking about Bruce Jenner, a real man's man. In 1981, Eric Estrada was in a contract dispute and was possibly going to leave the show. The article talks about how Jenner will be brought in as a replacement, which did end up happening for six episodes in the fifth season, as Jenner played Officer Steve McLeish. I think that's... I've actually never seen any of these episodes, but... A spokesman for uh, a spokesman for Estrada said Jenner's uh, role would be a one-shot deal, and is quoted as saying, "Eric has tons of movie offers." 
Uh, Estrada returned after seven episodes. <laughs> well, that's better than Patrick Duffy. He's he stood out for a whole year, ruined the whole show. Not, and I'm not talking about chips, of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, it's a like situation. Of course, uh, Patrick Duffy from the Dallas fame, who left for all these movies that he was going to do, and that turned out to be a uh, what was it? A dream in that yeah. in that case that they brought him back. Yeah. Terrible. You know, he just didn't, he needed to learn that he had to take things step by step. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ah, I get it. But I digress. We're going off uh, on a tangent, which we like to do, but I don't even remember him on, uh, on chips, uh, Bruce Jenner. So he must've been uh, pretty lame as a character. I thought you, I thought you were going to say, I don't remember Caitlyn Jenner on chips. Cause nobody does. No, well, I don't remember Caitlyn Jenner. They might've arrested her at yeah. some point prostitution ring type deal, but. I don't remember Bruce on that show whatsoever. I used to watch that all the time, but I haven't watched it in probably 30 years. I'd like to dig those up. I'm sure there's a podcast out there called like Chips and Chips, and it's about people that like eat chips while watching chips. I get I get it. At first, when you read the news story and you said, what did you say? Jenner something chips? Was oh, the uh, article yeah. Title? The, uh, the title of the article was Jenner from Wheaties to Chips. Yeah, I, I actually thought that it was just an article about like how he was switching his sponsorships from Wheaties to like potato chips or something until like I heard you say Eric. Estrada. That would have been a better story. <laughs> hey, but you did have EWTN. So let's see what happens between August 12th and 18th of 1990. All right. So my first entry is the ladies on Sweet Street which uh, debuted uh, August 16th, 1990. And if you're wondering why you've never heard of this wonderful sitcom, it's because this was a failed pilot that aired on August 16th, 1990. It's a failed series pilot about two older ladies who take up sleuthing as their new pastime, starring 40s film star Gloria DeHaven and Doris Roberts who was really hot at the time, coming off of, of course, Christmas Vacation, right in 1989. This is well before Everybody Loves Raymond. Not much is known about this show other than uh, it was a complete failure. It never got past the pilot. So that's my first entry. The Ladies on Sweet Street. Oh, what could have been? Doris Roberts as a sleuth. Oh, man. That's almost as good as the pairing of Oprah and uh, Sylvester Stallone that I posted on our Facebook yeah, yesterday. It's like Murder, She Baked. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> so my second entry is uh, a show that was actually premiering during my week. The problem I have with my re week during the summer, as I'm sure Mike had, is summers in the 80s and 90s, it was all reruns. And the big thing I've found with my month and a theme that I've avoided throughout all of my picks was during the time of August of 1990, there was one story that was all over the news, all over TV, and it was the only thing people cared about. And that was the fact that Iraq had just invaded Kuwait. But we're not going to even mention that on this episode. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go with TV. And there was one show that was actually brand new at the time. And that was a show called Northern Exposure. It was in its first season. And on August 16th, 1990, we got the sixth episode called Sex, Lies, and Ed's Tapes. There is much to deal with Sicily when Shelley's husband arrives with the hopes of taking her back to Saskatchewan on Northern Exposure. 
I don't know if you guys ever got into this TV show. Very popular. And this episode actually kind of set a lot of the familiar tones that would carry out throughout the series. A lot of the ways the characters interacted and dealt with the situations, it became a familiar pattern. Supposedly, the sixth episode is where it all started, so they say. So that's my second pick, Sex, Lies, and Ed's Tapes. Episode 6, Season 1, Northern Exposure. Oh, God. I When I thought, when you guys did the music round, I was like, oh, this is going to be a terrible round. We'll just get through it, and we'll, it'll just go up from there, but I was wrong. This is equally as bad as the music round. It's fucking terrible. And uh, just to uh, get into this real quick, we're going to have an episode this month, at the end of the month, that's going to be a worst of the month which is going to be a fun episode where we go and try to find the worst things. And, uh, man, I wish we would have used these dates. For we weren't that doing that episode. on this episode. It sure <laughs> seems like it. Um, I, I'm going to throw out a shocker here. I'm going to give this one to Mike. That's not a shocker. <laughs> and the reason I'm going to do it is because of EWTN. I knew it. It's got staying power, man. That shit. 1981, it's still on. It still gets people to watch it. I don't know why. Maybe, like, as a... Well, I know we're all lazy. Not all of us, but society's lazy. Maybe they just want to watch church on TV rather than going. Or they could DVR it or some shit. I don't know. It's nursing homes and hospitals, man. That's their bread and butter. I swear to you, like, this, uh, this happened when I was in elementary school. I came home from school one day and uh, the way our house was like, it was kind of like a galley. So when you opened up the door, you could see right into the living room and you could see our TV, our like 30 inch uh, wood grained. Remember those floor television sets? It probably oh, weighed yeah. like 500 pounds because they had yeah. oak wrapped around it. Yeah. Sitting yep. on the floor. They were furniture. Yeah, it was furniture. Yeah. I don't even think it was that big. It was probably like 27 inch or something. It was all wood. So anyhow, so I could see as soon as I opened the door, my mom with her hands on the television. And I was like, what in the f- is this poltergeist? Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I like open the door. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm praying. <laughs> she was legit praying to the TV. Like, I was like, can't you just go to church or something? Like, the fuck? But I guess people do that shit. That's the only time I ever saw her do that. Maybe she wanted uh, something she saw on uh, QVC or something. She was I don't know what she was praying for. Fucking jokes on you, man. The next day, Ed McMahon shows up with a check. <laughs> and she didn't tell me. So, I yeah, I got to go with EWTN. I bet you they get millions of viewers over the years. And it's still around. Unlike the ladies on Sweet Street. Unlike Bruce Jenner's cock. <laughs> Which is not, it's just no longer around. He left it on Sweet Street. With I the thought he still one. had his dick. No, he had the surgery. That's Did he? gone. I, think. I thought yeah. he still had it. I don't know. We should, uh, we should find out. But I'm, I think he, I think he went through with it. Let's Google this. What did they do with Bruce Jenner's penis? I think it's in the Smithsonian. Ah, her genitals were not removed, but rather rearranged into a form of consistent with a woman's oh, vagina. Yeah. You guys have So they pushed seen... his cock in. You've never seen how they do the surgery? Uh no. Okay. It <laughs> it is split in four 
and then inverted. Wait a minute. Wait yeah, a minute. Wait a minute. I don't got any. <laughs> run this back. Why do you know how they fucking do this surgery? I think it came up when my <laughs> wife was in med school. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were like watching infomercials like it's fucking Invisalign or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's like, I could do this myself. Good. I don't need a fucking doctor. <laughs> All right. So uh, Mike shockingly pulls this one out. So it's uh, two points to one and we're going into the two point round. So give me the good stuff. All right. I want to go with sports. Um, and mine actually kind of, the stories are kind of intertwined. It's going to roll. Both my picks are going to roll right into each other. Oh man. Shouldn't have been drinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 1981, major league baseball had its first work stoppage since 1972 that actually caused cancellation of games. The strike began on June 12th. The sides reached an agreement on July 31st and resumed play on August 9th with an all-star game, and the regular season uh, resumed the very next day on August 10th. And it is on that day that Pete Rose sets the National League hit record with 3,631 hits previously held by Stan Musel. So my stories are baseball returning with a shortened season, starting with an all-star game, and the next story is Pete Rose uh, setting the National League hit record. That's a pretty fucking good one, man. I like that. All right, Mark, what do you have for sports? All right, so my first one, we are going to go to August 14th, 1990, and that's when top draft pick Rodney Hampton scored an 89-yard touchdown where the New York Giants beat the Buffalo Bills 20-6 to in preseason football. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, preseason football, not the most exciting, but noteworthy. This game, we would get a rematch of this, of course, when the yep. Giants again played the Bills at the end of the season in the final game, of course, because they met in the Super Bowl. Uh, but this was the debut of uh, star rookie running back for the Giants, Rodney Hampton. Had about five years where he put up over 1,000 yards and then just kind of disappeared after that. But As do most running backs. Yeah, but was uh, was a bright star for quite a while. So that's my first entry. We get a little bit of preseason football and a uh, a preview of what would be the Super Bowl that year. And then ending on August 12th, 1990, we had the 1990 PGA Championship, which was the 72nd PGA Championship. And this one was at Shoal Creek Golf and Country Club in Birmingham, Alabama. Wayne Grady won his only major championship that day, three strokes ahead of runner-up Fred Couples. In the final round, Couples led by a stroke after a birdie on the 12th hole, but then had four consecutive bogeys. While Grady, he shot par for the rest of the round, was able to get his only major tournament win. So the PGA Championship, August 12th, 1990. That's what I got for sports. All right. uh, One thing I missed on that PGA Championship, was that the first day or the last day? That's the final day. That is the day that Wayne Grady actually won on the 12th. That's the day he won. Okay. Right. It started on the 9th. It ended on the 12th. Okay. All right. This is actually fairly simple for me. Like I said before, on a lot of these episodes with the sports stuff, things that happen within a season, unless it's something like extremely monumental, like if you would have had that Giants Bill Super Bowl, that 20 to 19 Super Bowl where, you know, they with the missed kick at the end, that's huge. Everybody knows that, you know, everyone knows Scott Norwood, you know, that whole thing. But the fact that this is the preseason game for that, <laughs> nobody gives a shit. It, we don't care about the, the regular season 
preseason. We just talked about this before we went on the air. I hate preseason. And now I know why you said to me before this, oh, you don't like preseason games? No, I fucking hate preseason games. And you still went with that pick. And then uh, you did have the PGA Championship in 1990. I don't even know who Wayne Grady is. I thought you said Wayne Brady at first. Is like the comedian? (laughs) No, Wayne Grady. Yeah, I don't even know who that is. But Uh, good for him to win. He was actually the third Australian-born player to win the PGA Championship. Oh, there was already two other ones. Uh, there was. So, yeah, so that's not that great, but you only have a week to pick from. So, but then you look at Mike's and he's got two huge things. The, uh, the baseball work stoppage, which basically like fucked baseball for a couple of years, you know, until like the mid eighties. And then you get the Pete Rose thing, which was huge in the eighties, the whole thing with the hits. And it, it's weird because if you look at it now, with baseball, like guys that get a lot of hits, it doesn't seem like it's as big of news as it was then. Remember how big this was with Pete Rose? I remember like the later years when I think it was 85 when he broke the uh, the Ty Cobb record. Yeah. Uh, the only I, I remember in my head 4192. I don't remember if that was his uh, career or if that was the uh, the break, but I remember the 86 tops card. So in 81, when he broke the National League record, I was only like three. So. I don't remember that shit, but still it's Pete Rose and he broke a record and it wasn't a season record. It's a, you know, it's a huge national league record. So I got to give this one again to 1981. All right. So what does that make the score? That actually makes the score four to one. So Mike is not a loser. (laughs) We're going to continue on because I want to see how this plays out. 81, I'm thinking you're not going to get a lot of movie releases, especially in this week. I'm guessing and I'm thinking Mark might get a lot of weird garbage, like weird late summer garbage. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there, but I'm interested and we got to keep playing. So let's go. Last round movies. Uh, Mike, you won the round, but do you want to defer? Or do you want to keep this? You know what? Up? I think uh, I think I'll defer. All right. Whoa. What a gamesman. All right, so my first movie, I'm actually going to break out a J.J. Abrams picture Ooh. from 1990. We're talking about the classic Taking Care of Business with Jim Belushi and Charles Grodin. Oh, you lose a day planner and your entire life is <laughs> shot to shit. Released August 17th, 1990. The movie was actually co-written by J.J. Abrams. He's credited as Jeffrey Abrams on that. Jill Mazursky was the other writer on that picture as well. But hey, you can't go wrong with Jim Belushi. It's one of those Jim Belushi and baseball movies from the 90s. Like he did yep. three or four movies right in a row, all of them. He's got a Cubs hat on, and they're somehow tied with baseball. Like Mr. Destiny. Correct. Yeah, there was like three or four in a row. Uh, taking care of business, though. I can't get over Charles Grodin. Not my favorite actor from the 80s, but do love myself some Jim Belushi. Uh, movie grossed uh, only $20 million in the box office, but $1990. That's not too bad. Uh, Found a much bigger market, of course, once it hit the home rental market. My second movie. Well, see, stop me if you know this one, okay? Tell me if you heard about this movie. This is a movie that is based on the life of former mobster Henry Hill. You guys know where I'm going with this one? Damn. All right. Operation Dumbo Drop? No, it is not (laughs) Operation Dumbo Drop, and it is not even Goodfellas. 
I'm talking about the other movie that was made about mobster Henry Hill, written by the wife of the guy who wrote Goodfellas. That's Nicholas Pileggi's wife, Nora Ephron, who gave us My Blue Heaven in 1990 with Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, and Joan Cusack. Carol Kane also uh, made a cameo in that. Daniel Stern. Really a great performance by Steve Martin and one of my favorite Rick Moranis movies. I think he he really holds his own in that movie. Good comedic performance from him. Uh, But yeah, loosely based on Henry Hill. So it's kind of a comedy take on Goodfellas, I guess you could say. But absolutely nothing like Goodfellas. I love that movie. (laughs) It would be more like post-Goodfellas. Yeah, it's like the continuation. Now, if it was really a sequel to Goodfellas, we might be on to something. That would be kind of cool. True. I love it. I think it's great. (laughs) I love that movie. I love his hair. All right. Yeah, for a week, you did very well. You know, that's you're not getting two blockbusters, but you got two solid picks for the week. So I'll... I'll weigh this a little bit differently because it's not like we're getting the entire month. You guys are getting a week. So that's like you're getting Oscar nominated shit right there in those two picks for a week. So in my opinion, those are pretty good. Mike, what do you got? All right. Well, on August 14th, 1981, Chuck Norris threw on his action jeans and showed moviegoers what makes an ex-cop take the law into his own hands in an eye for an eye. Chuck Norris doesn't need a weapon because... Chuck Norris is a weapon. (laughs) Norris played Sean Kane, a narcotics officer forced to resign after he goes berserk after his partner's murder and becomes a vigilante. The movie grows $7.8 at the box office. I actually, I own this movie, but I don't think I've ever watched it. Have you guys seen it? I have it as well. I actually bought it the day that you and I went to that guy's place that had thousands of VHS tapes. Oh, yeah? Yep. Oh, look at that. yeah, yep. I've never seen it. It's not that good. It's a Chuck Norris movie. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's about as good as you can expect, and it's early Chuck Norris before he thinks he can act. Oh, so it's like Octagon era. Yeah, it's yeah. very... It's actually... It might be slightly better than the Octagon. Well, I just think, you know, he didn't. Re- he just didn't realize that, you know, an eye for an eye leaves, like, the whole world blind. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch this movie, you might go blind. <laughs> Now, you know what I'm going to ask you, Mike? Yes. Does he tell anybody they have AIDS in the movie? You know what? I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen does, it. Does Chuck Norris give anybody AIDS in the movie? No, I think sure. if if, <laughs> if AIDS ever sto- stared uh, Chuck Norris in the face, it would probably run. <laughs> I would say that the uh, Sally Field, an eye for an eye, is way better. Have you ever seen that one? Came out in the 90s where her uh, her daughter gets killed. She goes out for vengeance. It's a good one. I love it when they go out for vengeance. Wow. Classic. Yeah. It's not, no. yeah, it's not so. like the 70s, 80s vengeance, though. And you can't go wrong no. with young Sally Field. Yeah. Yeah. So you. <laughs> what uh, was that uh, movie I told you Rick to watch? decided to recommend me a, a film that's available <laughs> on Amazon Prime, and I think it's called Naked Vengeance. Naked Vengeance. And it is top, Naked vengeance, top notch. It? It's not quite Savage Streets. You know, it's not a death wish, but it's fucking, it's kind of like a, it's like a remake it's, of I Spit It's on a your combination. Grade, kind of, and like Last House on the Left, stuff like that. It's. Wow. Um, but it was just, I love the pacing of it. I, I loved how stupid all the, all the, all the rapists were. <laughs> it's so bad. And the fact that they start the movie off oh, with yeah. her husband getting It's just like how much bad shit could happen to somebody. And then yeah. like, you know, let me go on a, a quick vacation to get away from it all. And I'm just going to be like. 
sexually assaulted every step of the way. I can't even buy fucking meat without somebody fucking with me. Well, every every guy was just trying, well, like hitting on her, like way aggressive the entire well, time. Well, boys will be boys. It's really bad. I guess it's, if if you want <laughs> if you want to watch a fucked up movie, Naked Vengeance on Amazon Prime. All right. Anyhow, what's your uh, what's your second okay. pick there? Yeah, an eye for an eye. Yeah, in the first big, one. big film. Uh, my next one huge. is uh, just as huge. On August fourteenth, nineteen eighty one, Wes Craven brought us Deadly Blessing. The film is about a woman whose husband dies under mysterious circumstances, and she starts to think the neighboring religious community may be after her. A young Sharon Stone appears in one of her earliest credits. Fun fact, the bathtub scene was revisited and reimagined later in Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. The film grossed $8.2 million against a $2.5 million budget. Another one I've never seen. Oh, oh man. man, I was going to ask, what was the original in the bathtub scene if it wasn't Freddy's claw? Oh, it was a snake. It was a snake. Um, But I actually, when I was reading about it, it kind of made me want to see it. Dude, This it is, I'm telling you, 100% exact. Wow. You know that, that iconic scene of her laying in the tub with her legs spread yeah. wide open? Yeah. It's exactly the same, except instead of the hand, it's the snake. Is it? Is it good? Uh, I don't remember the rest of the movie. I do remember that though. <laughs> I want to see it. Um, God. Uh, she had Deadly Blessing. What's his name's in Deadly Blessing? Uh, the guy from that we just had is one of our trivia questions on a Facebook story. Uh, the dude from uh, the guy from Escape from New York. No, I'm brain farting right now. The guy um from the Hills of Eyes. What the hell's his name? The disfigured looking guy, Michael Berryman. Michael Berryman, thank you very much. Yes, he's he's either in it or he's in the sequel. No, he's in it. He is in it. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. in it. Yeah, so I remember him and I remember the bathtub scene. Uh, the rest of the movie, don't remember shit about. I don't even remember Michael Berryman's name half the time, so I can't give any credit on that. Mark's picks, though, for this round are amazing for that week. Taking Care of Business is, it's not an amazing movie. But it'll get you through an hour and a half. Great story. Like I said before, Charles yeah. Grodin loses his planner. His whole life goes awry. And what I like about it, and I think when you think about 2019, if you think about a high-level executive like he was in this movie, losing their phone, right. it can almost be the same premise. Hopefully, they don't try to reboot this. But if they were to reboot this, they could because it makes sense. Yeah, you could just do it with a phone and a case of stolen an identity. Exactly. It's uh which they did with stolen identity a couple oh, yeah. years back. Yeah. Just not as funny. No, it's really not. <laughs> and I like Jason Bateman too, but that movie was just not that good. And then My Blue Heaven, I still remember number one, like I said before, his hair is incredible in this movie. Uh I remember him mowing the lawn in his suit. Yes. And the scene where uh he goes to the supermarket. You can melt all this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's dangerous for you to be here in the frozen food section. It's so great. It's uh, I have to watch that again. I haven't watched it in a, like, a long time. But it's, it's good really movie. good, man. It's actually one of the first DVDs I got. It's like coming like that uh, that cardboard with the clip. Yep. Oh, yep. Uh, yep. I hated those because after a while, actually, I have a bunch of them still. They get deformed. And oh, yeah. Flat. They suck. Uh, and terrible. Uh, and then Mike came at me with uh, an eye for an eye and deadly blessing. Like I said before, there's only scenes I remember from these movies, and I don't remember them like very fondly, like I did with uh, My Blue Heaven. 
Yeah, but Steve Martin is no Sharon Stone. Fuck Sharon Stone. Why not? Everybody else has. <laughs> Apparently. Just go with your basic instinct. I will. I'm going to go... I'm going to go with uh, August 12th through the 18th of 1990. I still lose. You came close, man. It's a closer matchup than it looks on paper. And you guys came at me with a lot of just straight shit that I would never think of ever. And probably after today, I will never think of ever again. <laughs> Like uh, like ladies on Sweet Street, but I will remember that Bruce Jenner was on six episodes of Chips. I'll use that at bars and try to impress people with it. Um, the EWTN thing—that's it's stupidest pick in this thing, but that's probably the most monumental pick. Actually, no, I take that back. The uh, the, the IBM, IBM personal yeah. PC thing definitely gets MVP for this entire episode. But yeah, it is what it is. You get a week. You got to pick the best things that week. You guys just didn't have juggernaut weeks, but it was good enough. And we give it to 1981. That's right. Congratulations. The Mike Ranger pulls out a victory here on Dueling Decades. Finally happened. We have to go back. That can't be your first ever. Did you ever? No, I've won in like other things, but I don't really remember what they are. It's just been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. I don't know. I always usually fuck it up somewhere. Oh, wait. No. Yeah. You won with Jay Sandlin. When uh, when John shafted me. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, you're like kind of on a streak. I remember that. That was a good day. Yeah, this is his. I think this is Mike's first singles competition win. Oh, so. no longer the Coco Beware of <laughs> Dueling Decades. No, no. Well, if you've missed an episode, you can always go back on DuelingDecades.com and you can subscribe, listen, play along at home right there. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, wherever else you get your podcast. And if you head on over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, you can check out our private group where every day we have Dueling Decades trivia. If you've noticed here on our RSS feed, along with the episodes once a week, we have audio trivia where you get a chance to earn some points for the Dueling Decades leaderboards. Over on our Facebook page, every day we have picture trivia. We're just coming off of two big culmination trivias, too, which are really cool, I think. I've had the most fun with those. So basically, the way that works is every day, like Mark said, there is a picture trivia that gets posted in our Facebook story. And then we have the audio trivia. So now what we're doing with these culmination trivias is we're giving you a little piece of a puzzle. So there's a piece in the story. There's a piece in the audio. There's a piece in the next day's story. And then you got to piece them all together until somebody figures out the overarching theme of the whole thing. And the first two that we did, uh, the first one was Masters of the Universe, the movie. Uh, That one took a couple days for people to figure out. And then we did one today, and it just finished up with, uh, and it was Kenny Loggins. And that one came down to three guys at the very end. They all knew it was Kenny Loggins, but they couldn't figure out what the connection was in the third one. They just knew it was him, so they had to figure out what the connection was. Really fun. Somebody ended up getting it, and our leaderboard is over 300 people. You got to join. So like Mark said, come over to uh, DuelingDecades.com, hit us up on Facebook, do all that shit. Listen to Mark. Go ahead, Mark. So until next time, fellow doodlers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.